Welcome to Leadership Letters, a brand new podcast reflecting on and discussing all things leadership. I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers and very excited to be with you, not least because there are so many times when I've had a conversation about leadership and ended it by saying, I wish we'd recorded this. So I'm delighted to be doing exactly that, having the conversations about leadership, recording them and sharing them with you. I've been working with leaders for 13 years, having been a leader in a secondary school myself, before pursuing my interest in leadership, behaviour and coaching. When you think about it, there is nothing we do that isn't impacted by leadership in some way. And if we doubt that, we only need to turn on the news for the starkest reminders that the impact of leadership is everywhere. In our own working lives, we are constantly impacted by the leaders that we work with, the leaders that we work for, and indeed the leaders that we are. So this podcast is going to be a place where we reflect on all things leadership. There's nothing like a bit of common ground and a reminder that you're not alone when you're thinking about your leadership. And if I'm going to be recording a conversation, I'll need someone to have that conversation with. So each episode, we'll be welcoming a guest. Our guests will be sharing their own experiences as leaders and indeed of being led And something I'm really looking forward to is that the starting point for that is they'll be sharing a leadership letter of their own. It could be a letter to someone they have led themselves. It could be a letter to someone they have been led by or a leader from history or indeed an imaginary leader. Anything goes. I can't wait to hear these letters and see what that gets us talking about leadership wise. So let's get started. I'm delighted to welcome our first guest on Leadership Letters. I have known our guest for a very long time, and the fact that we were around as each other's careers began meant that I was especially delighted when he agreed to play a part in taking a step into something new again for me in the form of this podcast. The main reasons I asked him, however, are the leadership ones. My guest has worked in marketing and advertising since the late 90s, and he's more recently the former CEO of marketing and advertising company Digitas. He's a consultant, non-executive director and board trustee, and he's the founder of April, a technology service aimed at unlocking the power of technology for the over 65s. So here's my favorite bit of our intro. One recommendation on LinkedIn says simply, this man is a genius. Look no further. So looking no further, welcome Michael Islip to the Leadership Letters podcast. Hi Lizzie. And first tell us, did you write that yourself or did someone actually write that about you? No, um, that's actually my uncle. Oh, okay, that's great. But because it's, we don't share the surname and like he, he, worked in, um, he worked in advertising his whole career, so it's sort of, I left it there because I thought it was funny. It's fun, and, and true. And true, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So thank you for being here. Um, let's kick off with a few general questions about leadership, if that's okay. I'd love to know what your earliest memories of leadership are, of being led or noticing that leadership was a thing. Yeah. My first job when I finished university was I worked in a British Gas Call Centre for a year. And it was fascinating because... Um, there, there were sort of six regional service centres and they'd closed them all and built one mega service centre in Reading. So all of a sudden they needed 
300 people to work for them and hadn't really thought through uh, how this was going to work. So what they ended up with was loads of sort of uh, late teens, early 20s temps um, and very a very, very thin layer of leadership. And there were sort of two, like our experience, there were two sort of types of leaders. There were the team leaders who were running, you know, we were sort of in a team of eight or 10 and they were almost universally great. They were older, experienced, had been on the phones for years and years and years, knew how to handle every problem. Um, and they were all very approachable, very hands-on. Um, and you could really see how they, how they led their teams. And then you had um, the management who would basically, from what I could tell, that, that all they would do was once a week, you were measured on how many calls you would take a day. And then once a week, they would literally pin up on the board a massive list of all the employees ranked by how many calls they took. And you could just see there was such a stark contrast between the actual people who were doing the leadership. And then there was this, well, this is how we'll sort of manage it. So I remember that and thinking, I'm not sure I knew what the sort of answer was, but I could, there was something there that was not right. You could just tell there. And is there anything that you learned from that experience of the difference between how you were led and how you were managed and who felt closer to what you were doing and who felt more distant from it? Is there anything you learned from that that you would say still influences the way you work? One of the big things um, I think about that I've learned about, about leadership is being there, mm. being, being present and part of it. For me, has always been one of the things that I think actually makes some of the biggest difference so the the theory and the approach is really important but it's the I think in, in lots of um, circumstances it's the sort of application of that to people you know being there and um, you know and there's some other sort of actually when I think through some of the other things through my career that's all that's been a part of it so you say, can you say a bit more about that? How, how has that then tracked through your career? That no, the fact that early on you noticed how important it was not only to be a leader in theory, but to stay connected to the people working for you. Well, there's one, there was one, I think, uh, quite, uh, quite, quite an important moment. So I was working, this was early 2000s, and I was working at a small agency and dot-com bubble had just burst. Wheels were coming off left, right and centre. So we went from, you know, we were... We were about 60 odd people. I was a sort of account director, sort of looking after some of the, the accounts. Um, and I said, like, everything was, you know, it was a complete disaster. I, like, our revenue just disappeared. And uh, it was fairly obvious that we were going to go bust because we just like had, you know, we just had no money. We, it was just a classic cash flow problem. Um, and we made a couple of small rounds of redundancies but it was it was sort of going worse and I remember um being there and basically the the CEO just wasn't there and the everyone was like what's going on what are we going to do and I just uh I remembered I just started I sort of stood up and went right this is what I think we should do and we should do these things and it was there when um yeah, it was actually just being there and understanding what needed to happen. And that was a real sort of moment for me. And it was really, it was, you know, I learned a lot from it as well, because it was super hard, like, you know, everyone's losing their jobs and when we all were, and, you know, lots of tears, lots of, you know, like you know, real emotions. Um, but actually just sort of realizing that you don't necessarily have to have the title 
to 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 lead. So that was yeah. So I mean, I, I that was that was quite a, that was quite a big moment for me. I think there's so there's I mean there's so much in that not having to have the title to lead. I think that's something that plays out in organisations everywhere all the time. I think I guess there's that thing about are you a, in inverted commas a natural leader? Mm. How much of it can you learn? How much of it comes naturally? How come? How much of it is well suited to you? And I'm a great I'm a great believer. Otherwise, I wouldn't do what I do. That you can you can learn anything, mm. including about leadership. But there is something about those kinds of experiences where you have that evidence right in front of you that that human to human connection makes a difference that you can't get from it from a, a theory or a book. It's why I think these kinds of conversations are so important actually, because then you get to, if you haven't had those experiences yourself, you can hear them from others and mm. you, you can get some value from them. And the other thing I was thinking about, as you said that is how, it's got me thinking about you know where we find ourselves now. So I, sh I should probably note that we're recording this in September 2020, because if someone's listening to this in five years' time, that this will definitely be a year we're looking back on, hopefully, ultimately, positively, amid all the, the mess of it. But there's something that you're describing there about ending well, and I think one of the things that can be really challenging for leaders and particularly in the current context is how do you stay connected when so many of the messages that you're delivering are uncomfortable ones, unpleasant, upsetting ones? What would you say you've learned about that? And what, what would you share with leaders listening to this about that? I mean, I've been in the unfortunate situation of having to, you know, deliver, you know, over the years, you know, bad news but you know like messages that people don't want to hear for you know for, for, for numerous reasons um my my experience is you know, and it's different if you're having a one-to-one -one conversation with, or if you're talking to a, a group you know what i find is you know in a in a sort of one-to-one -one conversation people aren't really that interested in context they actually want to get down to the what does it mean for me right you know, and I think that there's a there's a real sense of you know sometimes the context makes the 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 leader feel better, but doesn't do much for the individual. Um, and I think if uh, if it's you know if it's you know communicating to a large group, I think you just have to be really straightforward and clear. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know you look at you look at you know. It's impossible not to talk about the government, as you say right now. But if you you look at how, you know, how terrible, you know, and what's crying out, this country's crying out for is somebody to say, here's the situation. This is what we know. This is what we don't know. Uh, our, you know, our objectives are to keep schools and businesses open, which means that you need to do this, this and this. And if we think if we do that, then things will be better. We'll come and talk to you in a week and let you know how we're getting on, you know, something like that. You know, that I think that everyone will go, okay, you know, people aren't stupid. You know, you can, you know, they can handle, you know, like ambiguity and uncertainty, but what they can't handle, I think is the, is the, is that, is that lack of anything. And I think that applies as much in business, right? Is that, you know, I always, I always have said to people about when they're thinking about, um, you know, plans and strategies and approaches is it, it matters less whether it's right or wrong, but it matters that it exists, right? You need to have it 
you know, nothing's perfect. Everything has things that can be improved. But if you don't have it and you don't have something, you're, you know, you don't have a, the plan or the approach or the structure, that's the real problem. And there's something in there about certainty, I think. I talk to people about certainty a lot because yeah. I think you're right. I think people can handle ambiguity and uncertainty if, if they understand what is certain. Yeah. And sometimes the only thing you can be certain about is what you don't know. Yeah. But if you can communicate that and you can say, here's what we do know, here's therefore what we need and um, here's why it's important, you're giving people something that they can get behind. And I love what you said as well about come back in a week. Because again, if you know that this is going to be reviewed, you can, you can get behind it for that week. Mm. And then you can get your next bout of clarity that's in light of whatever con how the context has changed. And that's when you start to enable people to make choices but i think the level of you know a, a, you know, a constant uncertainty ambiguity over a long period of time and people yeah. get, will get they get they get lost they get cross mm -hmm. so you've talked about how over time you would handle something like that but what about when you come in fresh to a mess like that what about what about the leader who has is is dealing with a group of people or an organization who have experienced long-term ambiguity and uncertainty and then in you come what would be your starting point then um probably the the most well the, the, the things i think about are i always used to think that i needed to know all the answers you know like that that way i think when you're sort of start when you're starting off in leadership or management or whatever like you sort of just you think i need to know more than everybody because that's how i'm going to work like right? if anyone asks me anything i'll know the answer no matter what it is i'm going to know the answer so um I, you know, so I think understanding that you don't need to know all the answers and that the answers to the problem will almost certainly be in the room, right? Like you may bring new stuff to it and help, but actually you need to get all, you need to find out all the information. So, you know, sort of talking and listening is, I mean, is, is super important because they're like, the answers will be there. What probably you can bring is just uh, um, an external view or, you know, where you can, where you can knit together the various parts of the solution, perhaps, and put them, you know, and line them up so that you can actually execute them. Um, so many of the problems are in execution, not in, in, you know, the strategy might be fine and the approach might be fine, but it's just hard to execute for some reason. And it's that stepping back, though, and being willing to not know things that creates the space for you to actually be able to do what you just said, which is talk, listen, observe. Mm. knit things together and I think that's one of the, the difficulties of transition into leadership at any level because the chances are you're being promoted because you knew stuff <laughs> you know mm. you're being promoted because you did have a lot of answers if not all the answers so you've got to make the transition to not knowing to being successful through others and stepping back it's a re and it's a really uh, it's a it's a I mean I said I worked in agencies for 20 years and you know, agencies are, I mean, I love agencies. Otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have worked in them so long. Um, but there are so many things that are just ridiculous about agencies. And one of the, one of the big things is that they're not the best payers in the world. Um, and so very often you reward excellence with management. So basically, if you're good, then the sort of like the, the way that you, the way that you, you, rather than saying to somebody, I'm going to give you a massive pay rise, right? And you can work four days a week. I'm going to give you a hundred grand pay rise because you're amazing. 
It's like, I'm not giving anyone money, but I'm going to give you a new title and make you responsible for a big team. Without really, very often, without thinking, are people particularly well suited to this? Is it, are they well suited to, do they want to do it? Um, I remember, uh, I remember I interviewed uh, a, a sort of creative strategy guy um, and uh, he was, this was fairly recent, probably five years ago, and he was, he was probably late 40s at the time. I mean, he was hilarious, brilliant, amazing creative mind, but also knew what he wanted. And he said, right, these might basically, he's like, I'd like to work here, but these are my terms, you know, this, this and this. If you make me manage anybody, I'll leave. Yeah. So that that's you know so you know if you want me to do this yeah you know i can do all of these things and this is how i work and this is what i need to be really successful but if you make me manage anybody i'll leave we ended up hiring him and he was amazing but we just didn't you like like we knew that that was not going to be what we were hiring for but i think you know lots of people in agencies unfortunately you know that's a that's you know that takes time i think very often to sort of actually understand that about yourself yeah I mean, I love what you said, people reward excellence. I mean, it's what happened to me. I think it's what happens to many of us, isn't it? That our excellence, when we do well, it's rewarded with management and not necessarily accompanied by a decent amount of support and learning about how to be good at that and how to manage and to lead well. Um, Yeah, I mean, my head's gone to wondering what it... I, you know, I'd love to know which organisations are doing that differently and are shaking up that model and how successfully they're doing so and what steps they're taking. And is that something, you know, you, you're now involved in a, in a range of businesses. Is it something that you try to, to do as a leader to create an alternative to rewarding excellence with management? How, how is that playing out for you now? Yeah, it is. And I mean, something that we try to do at, at Digitas is that, um, you know, try, we, 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 you know, we, um, you know, really try to give people two parts, right? And actually, so if you wanted to, you know, so one was a, one was, I can't remember the exact, we had some sort of like nift, like nice phrase for it, I can't remember what it was, but it was basically like craft versus management, broadly speaking. And so what we wanted somebody to be able to do was to effectively continue to be a because, you know, a lot of, you know, in, in the, you know, creative or technology worlds is that you need, you, sometimes you just need people who are amazing developers. You yeah. Know, you, like, you, you just need people who can code like crazy. You can, you need amazing creative thinkers. Um, and they're not always the same people who are great managers. So we, we sort of consciously try to make that part of our, our sort of career planning. I mean, if I'm, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't do it well enough because it, it sort of, fell by the wayside in amongst other things but sort of it was it was definitely there as a as an intent as an ambition yeah it makes so much sense to me in principle and yeah. I, I love as you know i i love working out what makes people tick working out how they communicate better all of that kind of stuff all of that stuff that contributes to well i guess anything you're doing but particularly if you're leading managing and and i love that sense that you would go into an organization and and perhaps be encouraged to stay there for longer because you really have a sense of choice and in, in your skill might absolutely be in leading others. Yeah. Understanding what, you know, what success looks like and it might be in, in delivery. Well, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting um, thing there about tenure. Um, Cause I, I still think that um, 
most businesses, even though they know it's not true, sort of think this person's going to work here forever. Mm. You know, like I still think like like lots of of that sort of, you know, like the role of sort of management and leadership is to is to sort of keep somebody here forever, which is like so completely unrealistic. Um, and I think you know the, the more I think the more progressive organisations sort of are going into it thinking, well, you're going to be here 18, 24 months. What's the you know in crude terms? What's the value of exchange over that period? How do I get the best out of you? And how do you develop and get the, the best out of us? And actually think about you know sort of leading and developing people with that in mind rather than okay well you're going to be here for the next 20 years because that's not the i think that that's not the reality of work in in, in lots of areas and that's okay right mm-hmm. so people still feel you know that the sort of somebody leaving you know it's still i was in i was in a situation not that long ago where um you know what was a very you know on paper was a very straight business transaction about you know somebody's career but my god it was emotional like there were it was on, on all sides you couldn't believe what was going on it was like a it was like a um it's like a yeah an episode from a from some like a soap opera amazing and were you, what were the leaders in in that situation doing to manage and allow for that emotion in a way that worked i mean I, what what they did really well was lots of talking yeah great yeah you know, actually just and and also making you know having the senior people making time for the conversations it's not just sort of like um sort of uh, divested to you know somebody else actually like senior people making time having the conversation listening and then being able to uh you know come up with you know, having the authority to be very quick to go, right, well, actually, we could do X, Y, and Z, and that would, might make things better. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I could keep talking about all of this stuff for ages, and we haven't got hours. And so I think we probably need to move to hearing your letter, which I'm also really looking forward to doing, and seeing where that conversation then takes us. So are you happy to share your letter? I am. It'd be terrible if I said no, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that would be an awkward moment. Can you tell us, do you want to tell us who you're writing to and why? Or do you want to let that be given away by just going ahead and sharing the letter? Um, Well, it's a letter to Nelson Mandela. Okay. Dear Nelson, I grew up in Bracknell in the UK in the 70s and 80s. And I remember learning about you in a class when I was 12 or 13, I think. And you were portrayed as something of a mythical figure. Songs were even sung about you. And it was probably a reflection of the time that we were taught you were a violent revolutionary, but your heart was probably in the right place. Wind forward to 1990, and I can remember watching your release from prison and that long, slow walk that became an era-defining moment. Aside from your incredible resilience through all the years you spent in prison and your natural charm, there's a few other things that have really stood out for me. First is the scale of the challenge you took on. I was sometimes worried about starting things because they seemed too big to handle but you were able to tackle a challenge that was the size of an entire country and baked into hundreds of years of terrible history, repression and violence. And yet, despite the context, you always look for solutions. A Marxist by trade, you could have easily used your position and power in a way that favoured your side, but you always look for compromise, for solutions that work for everyone, even when you're attacked by the left and the right for betraying a certain position or other. 
and I'll never know for sure, but I think you instinctively understood that the way you appeared, your image, and the way you communicated meant something. And both made the messages easier to understand, but perhaps also more palatable to those naturally less inclined to agree with you. And finally, you were utterly selfless. One of the most powerful moments I remember about your life was your trial where you were facing the very real possibility, that came true, of life imprisonment. And you gave up the opportunity for a traditional cross-examination approach to give a three-hour political speech which concluded, I've dedicated my life to the struggle of the African people. I've fought against white domination and I've fought against black domination. I've cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all people will live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal for which I hope to live for and to see realised. But, my Lord, if it needs to be, it is an ideal for which I'm prepared to die. I don't think I can say anything more than that. What an inspiration, Michael. Thank you. Goodness, there's so much in there. I got to stand in a room with him. Really? Yeah, and um, so he visited the school that I, I was head of year seven at the time, I think. And he visited our school and it, it, it's something that's really stayed with me leadership wise as well, because it, you know, the reality was a lot of those young people didn't really, I mean, they, they knew the name of course, but they yeah. didn't really fully understand the magnitude of who was standing in front of them. And it was pin drop silence in there, something that, happened very rarely <laughs> yeah. teachers in tears and it, it was it was an extraordinary moment but the there was something you, you took you said about the way he communicated i mean it was just one of those wonderful insightful moments when you see somebody who you know, could probably could behave in any way they wanted really and everyone would think that they were incredible who stopped and spoke to anyone he could have the opportunity you know the first person he spoke to when he came through the door was the were the people on reception it just it just was you know you there was no sense whatsoever that this was somebody who was going through the motions of a visit yeah he absolutely cared about who he was talking to and what he was saying mm. it was an amazing moment um so there were a couple of there were there were many things that struck me about what you said but i'm, I'm curious about how some of them play out perhaps for you as a leader and in the way that you go about things. One of them you mentioned was looking for solutions mm. and compromise, which aren't necessarily of course the same thing. But yeah. what's, what's the role of solution and compromise for you as a leader? Well, I mean, one of the things that I, I think that I'm, I'm relatively good at is sort of, like this is in the sort of business world, but simplifying complexity so that people can understand it and and you can get on and do it and i think that is you know that's definitely something that you know i've always re i've really strived to do is um realizing that if people can't understand something and connect with it they're never going to be able to do it so in a world where you know there is you know there is just inherent complexity in everything how can you how can you simplify what you need to tell people and what they need to do into a way that becomes a solution that they can actually understand and connect with and then get on and do. Um, so that's, you know, something I've always, always tried, tried hard to do. Um, I mean, that's slightly different to, to compromise, 
Yeah, I'm curious about compromise. I think there's because there can be a perception of compromise as as weakness or dilution or you know what 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 do you think is important to bear in mind around compromise? Uh, I don't think it's it's a weakness. Yeah, it's, I agree. It's, it's and um, have you ever heard of Scott's work? No. So like if they are one of the most so basically they provide um, their negotiation trainers. Okay. And they do three day courses, the best training I've ever done. And we went, we, we got all of our senior people to do it. Cause once you've done it, you're like, Oh my God, it just changes everything. And there's a, there's a thing that they teach you that basically that, you know, and this is, this is the, uh, sounds really obvious, but people just don't realize it that they're, you know, a good, that there's, if a deal is on a, a you know, on a spectrum at either end, it's not a good deal. There's this bit in the middle that's where the good deal is and that's what they I mean they're teaching lots of other brilliant stuff as well but sort of that you know when you sort of think about when you think about solutions like that because at this end if you get everything that's not a good deal long term for the other, the other part if the other person gets everything that's not a good deal either but so there is this bit in the middle so that's not about giving up or 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 or, or failing it's actually saying that that's where that's where the good deal is to be had and you know and so much of um you know so much of particularly business but life in general is a negotiation it's understanding where that where can that deal happen and that's and the very word itself compromise is best for both yeah yeah i love that i think we've got time for one other thing that i wanted to just pick up on from your letter which is you talked to you, you said that well you speculated actually on the fact that you felt that it appeared to you as though how he presented himself how Nelson Mandela presented himself mattered and was a part of mm. was was a planned I think I'm hearing part of how he came across and was able to work with such a range of people and views what mm. tell us a bit more about that and how that might play out for you well I think you know uh, he had you know and he had an incredibly uh, incredibly complex group of people that he needed to you know, and it's not in it. Like it's at a level of complexity that's so far off the scale of anything that we've ever had to deal with. But you know, so so, um, and and, his, and to say, you know, his background and his, you know, what he believed in, you know, were, were you know, he was a radical, you know, and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't sort of like a left-leaning centrist, you know, he was a he was he was a radical. Um, but being conscious of how the media portray you being conscious of the way I think probably you look and the way that you speak and the, 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 the choices you make around all of these things make a huge difference. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I would love to have been a better public speaker, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not probably the worst public speaker, but I'm not, you know, I'd love to have been a better public speaker because I think being able to, you know, to communicate to lots of people in a way that connects with them, I think sort of takes you to a whole new level of being able to sort of lead mass movements and whether that's business movements or, or people movements. Mm. There's, there's t and there's two sides of that that really interest me. One is the fact that I think, I think we can so sometimes people get, get caught up in, you know, is, am I being authentic? If I am putting on, um, uh, I don't know, for want of a better word, a show, if I'm behaving in a certain way for a certain audience, and, and I think that's part of the power of 
being a great leader is being able to flex to and and, and learning how to you know, put on some of the different hats and personas yeah. that we, we bring. I don't see that as inauthentic. I see that as a, as a tool of great leaders. Mm. And I, so when I, um, I worked at Ogilvy for, you know, a few years and I really struggled, like there were some amazingly charismatic ad types there, you know, like almost, you know, just like were really well groomed, polished, slick. And I spent quite a lot of time trying to be like that. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not really my style. Um, and then when I moved, I moved to a, to a new place and my, my then boss, you know, he said to me, it's one of the things that's stuck with me, you know, so long. And I've said to so many people is that, you know, he said, you will always be more successful as being a more successful version of you. Mm -hmm. so don't try and be, you know, just be the version of you, like the better version of you. Because I think I was sort of like het up on the fact that I could, that I was really struggling to be, you know, to be a, 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 like somebody else. That, that yeah, was, yeah. Uh, and that was, that was a really, so that was a really big moment for me because I thought, actually, you know what, that's fine. I'm just going to be me. Yeah. Because that's not about staying still, is it? You can still be. It's, but it, but if, 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 the vers if, if the versions you're creating start with you, yeah. that's very different from yeah. trying to be or, you know, or emulate what someone else is doing. Yeah, it's great advice. <laughs> but it was a massive relief as well. Like, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. Brilliant. I could talk all day, but I've got one more question for you. I'm slightly springing this one on you, um, yeah. which is that one of the things that um, this podcast, Leadership Letters, is based on is a leadership letter, as you know, that I write. And... One of the things I do in that is offer a suggestion of something to read, to watch or to listen to. And it might be in service of leadership. It might just be something that you watch to have a break from leadership. But I wonder if uh, in closing, there's something that you'd like to recommend to our listeners that they could either read, watch or listen to. That I think the something to read um, that I read earlier on in the year. Um, which was just a fascinating book. And it's not really about leadership at all, but it's just, it's fascinating is um, How to Argue with a Racist. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, and it's uh, Dr. Adam Rutherford, I think, if I got that right. Um, and because it's basically, you know, he's a, he's a geneticist and a sort of genetic historian. And the way that he tackles this problem is i think is is, is brilliant because it's it's absolute pure science mm. but written with a point of view mm. yeah and it's it's and, and i mean it's just a great great read well, thank you that is a great recommendation for us and thank you so much for being the first guest on leadership letters i'm honored uh, well you've been wonderful thank you Good. very much all right Thanks, Lizzie. Our thanks again to Michael Islip. What a brilliant first guest, a brilliant first leadership letter for us to discuss. I really enjoyed that conversation. So thank you, Michael. We're moving now to the Leadership Lowdown. This is the part of the Leadership Letters podcast, where it's where it all began, really, in that 
um, the leadership letter is something that I write and send out to you. And many of you have said to me that what you'd prefer is a version of this that you can listen to. So this next section will be a run through of some of the things that I have shared in the leadership letter this this month. We'll be talking about some recommendations, things you can read, watch and listen to, and also sharing a couple of insights and techniques, recommendations, things to think about. That kind of stuff is going to be happening in this section. So this month, in terms of recommendations, there were three things that I shared with you, as as always, something to read, something to watch and something to listen to. The something to read this month was, well, I gave you a choice of two books, actually, both of which I recommend, Fierce Conversations and Fierce Leadership, both by Susan Scott. These are books I return to time and time again. I, I love that they are about not just what you need to go towards as a leader, conversation-wise, but how to do it. And I think a real staple of the work that I've been doing over the last 10 years as a result of these books and also as a result of learning with Roger Schwartz is that value of going towards the uncomfortable conversations. And what we need when we're doing that is not only some preparation for what we're going to say, but some preparation of ourselves, of our mindset, our approach, the way that we choose to think about ourselves, the way that we choose to think about others in those moments, and how we also choose to see those as important conversations. There's something about how if something's rattling around your mind, it's on your mind, maybe you feel a bit stuck in it. The chances are, if that's to do with a conversation that you're avoiding, there's an important reason why you need to have that conversation. And focusing on that, the important bit, rather than the bit that you're dreading is a great way in to going towards that uncomfortable stuff in pursuit of a better result. So great books to turn to on that front. I cheated a little bit actually this month because my recommendation this month was to listen to this. (laughs) Um, But you're here and doing that. So thank you very much. Um, Normal service will be resumed next month and I'll share some other things to listen to. And it would be great if you could pop a little review or um, sign up, subscribe. Anything that you can do to support this podcast would would be hugely appreciated. In terms of a to watch recommendation this month, I shared a TED talk, one that I um, was introduced to very recently. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Um, It was called How Language Shapes the Way We Think by Lyra Boroditsky. And It was just a fascinating insight into languages, words, the intricacies, the similarities, the differences. It's one of the things that we often end up having conversations about in coaching is, you know, what do you mean by that word? What do I mean by that word? How does someone else interpret that word? And really taking care of the language that we use and how that language lands. Um, She asked three really brilliant questions at the end of her talk three questions that are just brilliant in their own right, actually, let alone related to this talk. Why do I think the way that I do? How could I think differently? And what thoughts do I wish to create? Three wonderful questions to sit and have a mull over, I think. The main focus for the Leadership Letter this month 
has been about that difference between thinking and preparing. So quite often we might tell ourselves that we're preparing for something when actually what we're doing is thinking about it, maybe worrying about it. It's on our minds and we mistake that for true preparation. And quite a few of you with so much going on in the world at the moment and so much change for so many of you, quite a few of you have been wanting to talk recently about um, interview preparation or about how you can support other people to prepare for interviews. So one of the things that we've been taking a look at in this month's leadership letter is a way of fleshing out those stories that you take to interviews, making sure that you are telling all of your stories, not just the ones that you tell out of habit, and also making sure that you are approaching the way that you tell those stories in a way that has breadth and depth. So the essence of this work is to basically get yourself out of your own head. I'm a great fan of a bunch of post-it notes up on a wall. It might be a mind map kind of exercise for you with loads of different colours, or you might be more of a person who sticks it all down into columns. But what I'm encouraging you to do is think about, as I've said, the breadth and depth of your story. So for example, you might start this piece of work by blasting down all the skills that you know you have and then choosing one of those and then blasting down, okay, what are the experiences that I have had that either built that skill or demonstrated that skill? So really starting to then add stories to your skill and then encouraging you to go and look for the data behind that. So what were the results? Where did that experience, that story, that skill have an impact and how was it measured? And quite often, this is a place where people run into some uncertainty. So if you're not sure, this is also a place to start noting down, well, who could I ask? Who can tell me more about the sales connected to that or the recruitment and retention connected to that, where there was profit as a result of that skill that I utilised? So really starting to dig a bit deeper into the facts that you can attach to your stories. And another great way to flesh out the stories that you're telling in an interview is to really think about, well, what would other people say about you? What did other people say about that skill, that story or that data, that impact that you had? It might be that you have other people's stories to draw on. It might be that you imagine them and make them up, but obviously based on the facts, but that you're imagining what people would say. And using that other voice and using stepping into someone else's shoes as a way of getting better at articulating what you did for yourself. And you can start with any of those four places, skills, experiences, data, and what others say, and use each one of them to then map out and attach more and more detail to add breadth and depth to your interview stories. The other thing that I reminded you to do in in that leadership letter is to not mistake thinking about something for preparing for it in terms of the how you say it. So encouraging you all to grab your phones or tablets or whatever it is and to speak into those things, record yourself and play it back. And I'm kind of imagining all of you switching this off at this point and thinking, no, thanks, rather not do that. And I want to really encourage you to give it a go. Nobody else has to hear it. But there is something so powerful about hearing your own voice back and getting to know it better and getting to understand how your stories are landing. 
And the other huge bonus of doing that is that when you then do say something out loud and you do say something in an interview situation, there are kind of no surprises. You've heard yourself say it before. Helps you be less likely to get tongue tied, I think. So one final little bit of preparation for you to think about as we head into these winter months. I'm looking out on a very rainy October window is to think now about, well, what is what is this year and what this year looks like and how we restore ourselves um, as the challenges of this year continue? What does it look like in the winter months? We had to have an, another isolation. We're all fine, thank goodness. But we did have to have another isolation soon after um, the term started again. And it really got me thinking as I was drinking in that those last bits of sunshine that it's going to look different in the winter. Um, so for those of you UK based, you might be listening to this somewhere else in the world. But where does this next season and this next phase of this very challenging year we've had, where and how are you going to find your restorative moments and do things that restore you? Because the chances are they're going to have to change. We're not going to be outside in the garden, for example, in my family. Um, and there are things that we could really easily do in terms of getting into the outdoors that might be less appealing for a start um, and certainly more challenging. So we're kind of taking the opportunity now to think and prepare for having some creative stuff ready, having some things to do, making sure that we not just create some downtime, but in that downtime, we have some things to do in it that give our minds a bit of a break from everything else that we're having to think about and deal with at the moment. I want to encourage you to think about that too and plan and prepare to look after yourselves a bit over these winter months. So that's the Leadership Lowdown for this month. Thanks again for joining us on this first episode of Leadership Letters. I've loved talking with you and loved talking with Michael earlier on and really very much looking forward to November's edition of Leadership Letters, where we'll be doing a lot more of the same and hearing from some more great guests. See you soon.